This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. I am sitting in a shipping container in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And that means one thing. That means it is time for Tech Bites. I'm your host, Jennifer Leutzi. And once a week, we get together and we talk about the intersection of technology and food. Not so much Fran Adria and immersion circulators, a little bit more apps, web, social media, and technology. Before we get started with today's show, I'd like to introduce everyone in the studio and on the phone so that we can match names to the voices. The most important person here who makes this all into actual radio is Jack Inslee, the engineer, and our wonderful executive producer of the radio station. Hello. I never get tired of that wonderful intro you give me. <laughs> well, I forgot one of the key pieces, which is superstar DJ radio show, yes. Thursday nights, full service radio. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Hands in the air. We also have in studio today, Carol Chin, who is in the culinary events at Octagon. Hello. And on the phone, we have Maisie Gansler from Bon Appetit Management Company, which is a big restaurant, which is an enormous, amazing restaurant group, not the magazine. Are Thank you, you so much. I'm jealous I'm not closer to the pizza. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good thing to be jealous about and a good goal to have to get close to the pizza maybe another time. The first thing Absolutely. we do, the first thing we do on Tech Bites is we start off the show like a good meal with an appetizer, and that is when everyone talks about an app that they're currently using, enjoying, or have discovered. So our guests have a little bit of time to think of what their favorite one is. Uh, not, not able. You can't cheat by saying an app that you've built, sold, or participated. <laughs> None, no worries there. I don't have any. <laughs> So, Jack, what do you have for us today? Okay, I have a weird one that I, I, I'll say, I'll go with discovered, not using yet, but I uh, just discovered it. It's called Yik Yak. And apparently the kids are using this. Now, this is like a way, kind of a Twitter of sorts, uh, or a Yelp. You basically share your thoughts about anything, the key being it's location-based and anonymous. So it's just a stream of anonymous comments. You don't see who they're coming from or where they're coming from. Uh, which is, I think, maybe going to change the game because I know a lot of people are kind of concerned if you have a professional life, there are certain things you just can't say on social media. Um, and this is like a, a, a nice way to vent. I haven't used it yet, but I'm seeing all these people venting, saying ridiculous things, and, you know, it, it's anonymous. So, interesting. So, I'm imagining a Twitter-like feed with it are people just assigned by numbers or no it just just starts to populate with just posts? populates and you vote them up or down kind of like reddit so if it's a comment that's like you know not so great everybody can vote it down and it doesn't come up and then i'm seeing some of the trends here there's a function called peak so you can see these trends there's you know texts from my mom <laughs> um which is great because like i wouldn't want to post a text from my mom on my account that's that would make her sad but if it's anonymous right is it and so if it's geographically based, it's people in your area? And I then it, it pulls people works. together based on hashtags or subject matter or... 
you know, I'm still wrapping my head around it, but the up and down voting seems to be the real way they're deciding what shows up first, and then you set a base camp, so you're kind of posting and interacting with your local community. Wow. I mean, this sort of sounds like the stream of consciousness social media app. exactly. Which could be exciting and frightening all at the same time. Oh, yeah. Is it all mostly sort of negative and insightful things, or is it really embarrassing but super great, fun... I'd say a, also. Mi- a mix. A mix. A mix, yeah. Because there's also good things sometimes that you don't want to share because you might be perceived as bragging or right. something like that. Yeah, there are some less than... Or if you really liked the text from your mom. Yeah, right? <laughs> really interesting. I'm going to follow this, though, and see how it goes. It's uh, Okay, yik-yak. Yeah, yik-yak. For yik-yak. the kids. For the kids. <laughs> All right, I'm going to check it out. We'll have to check in with Declan, our, our kid intern who's not here today, and yeah. see how he feels about the yik-yak. Carol? Hmm. I mean, I think in terms of, of things I use frequently, Instagram is probably the most one I turn to. But um, if I can be a little shameless plug, one of our sponsors is Table 8. And I use that to do um, kind of last minute restaurant reservations at hot restaurants. Um, they're not in all cities now, Los Angeles, San Francisco, but I frequent New York, you know, places I go. So <laughs> um, I, I like that. Um, it's just super intuitive, easy to use. And um, it's just, it has a little mini review and pictures of the restaurant. So it's been good. Okay, nice. That's a new one. Reservation mm-hmm. service. Those are very popular right now. Crazy popular. I, I might have to do a show on the reservation service apps. There's, there's, it's really competitive right now. And I think the guys at Table 8 have, have figured out a really smart angle to it. Um, and just, they're, I'm impressed with their growth and their strategy. What is that smart angle? Um, targeting business travelers. Oh. So rather than trying to get seven social people who live there. Mm-hmm. And so it's so it's just, you know, it's a much bigger market than the people that want to go to. I'm making it up Momofuku or just a really small restaurant. Um, I think that'll be good. Targeting the business traveler. So it's really service oriented then. Yes. Interesting. We'll have to take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, Maisie, is there an app that you like? Well, in the category of discovered, I have just discovered a whole set of apps that help you manage your pantry. Oh, uh, this sounds very interesting. In an effort to reduce food waste. So there's one called Fresh Pantry. There's one called Prep and Pantry, Fresh Box. There's a whole suite of them. I haven't used any of them yet. What stopped me from really jumping in is if I am going to take the time to record all the items that are in my refrigerator... I'd like them to also suggest recipes and then help me track my eating as well. That would make it worth it to me to go through the work of entering in what I've got on hand. But I like the concept of starting to really track items with expiration dates and prioritize what's in your refrigerator. That is a really interesting app to bring to the table. And I I will tell you that you might want to go back into the Tech Bytes archives. We did a show Ooh. with um, the gentleman, uh, Dr. Steve Abrams, who is in charge of the IBM Watson Life Computer Project. And they have a Chef Watson app that they've developed with Bon Appetit magazine that is currently in beta testing, um, which you can get to. I think it's chefwatson.com or Chef Watson beta. It's, it's in the episode, and essentially, Chef Watson, it's the big IBM cognitive computer. It allows you to select ingredients, and then it comes up and just spits out recipes for you, and you 
answer some questions and plug in some pieces of information. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of potential recipe outputs. And it's very interesting in the Facebook group that's beta testing this app. There have been a few people who have commented that it would be amazing to be able to barcode scan your food as it goes into your refrigerator and then have those ingredients plug into the Chef Watson cognitive computer because then Watson can just endlessly give you recipes to cook with whatever you have in your refrigerator so you have less food waste. It doesn't actually exist, but I think the components for putting that together actually do exist right now. I agree. We'll just have to get on that integration. We'll work on that next week. Yes, we can maybe um, introduce you to uh, the IBM Chef Watson folks. My app this week is similarly about um, tracking food. It's an app called My Fitness Pal, and typically I think people download it for free and use it to track what they eat on the day-to-day basis because they're interested in losing weight or gaining weight, and they want to keep track of calories and protein and all that kind of stuff. And I use it occasionally for that. But the feature that I really like using it for, though, is... You can plug in recipes quite easily in terms of the quantities of the food and the serving. So if I'm making a, a you know, margarita pizza and I say it has a cup of flour and half a cup of olive oil and a cup of mozzarella cheese and two tomatoes and some pepperoni, you plug in all the ingredients and then it will give you the nutritional profile of your recipe and then it'll break it down per serving. So sometimes when you're writing recipes and developing recipes, you know, for books or for editorial or for projects or even, you know, for yourself and for your friends and you want to have a sense of what the nutritional value is or the protein profile is of the food that you cook at home, it's a really useful tool to do that. So I'm using it as it's intended, but for a slightly different audience, I think. So my fitness pal, it's pretty interesting. The only piece of, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt that I would give is it, there is a lot of user input into the database for what the different values are. So on the one hand, that's great because it's crowdsourced and there's a lot of information. On the other hand, I can be a little skeptical of these things. And I wonder, like, is this really, truly the nutritional breakdown of tomato paste? And so I I kind of like to barcode scan the real things in the supermarket um, because I feel like that's been legally approved. (laughs) But anyway, um, that might help. a a little bit get to really good accuracy on recipe nutritional values so anyway um wow that actually took 15 minutes which is kind of amazing and typically this is when we take our station break so maybe we'll just take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk with carol and Maisie about bite silicon valley the next whole food tech food conference
And we're back. And if you're wondering what the hell you just clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on heritageradionetwork.org. And once a week we get together and we talk about the intersection of technology and food, which I thought was a really relevant, salient, important thing to be talking about when we talk about our culinary and food life. And I'm very excited and gratified to know that one of my food industry media colleagues, Carol Chin, had exactly the same thought. Carol has been in the culinary food festival event organization business since 1993. So she's seen a few festivals. Just a few. And it's, it was actually quite spontaneous combustion that we both were having ideas about food and tech. So she is putting together a festival out in Silicon Valley called Bite Silicon Valley. The website is bitesv.com. And, Carol, why don't you tell us why, why? this How? happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, um, it came, there were two conversations that happened at the same time. Um, one was somebody asked me, if you could do a food festival anywhere in America, where would it be? And you've done food festivals almost everywhere in America pretty already. Pretty much, pretty much. And I said Silicon Valley. And they were like, you know, we thought you'd say Austin or Portland. And I'm like, you know... I'm from the Bay Area, so I had that, that kind of connection to it. But I also knew that there's nothing like this there. Um, and it's such a market that's it's educated, it's affluent, it's got all the hallmarks that you look for when you would be looking to, to start an event. So there was that. And then the second conversation was, or I guess more um, event, was I was at CES, and Food Network had asked me to sit on a panel about called The Passion for Food and How Technology is Driving That. And um, I, the food part I felt very comfortable about. The technology part I wanted to research more because I didn't know. Um, I wanted to have more anecdotes for this panel. And um, as I was, as I was um, looking around and researching, I was struck by how many different ways food and technology were intersecting. So you had social media, which kind of everyone's obsessed with taking pictures of their food. You had um, all of the apps and software, all of the gadgets in the kitchen, and that's both home and restaurant kitchens. And then you really had um, all of this investment in all these new food startups coming from Silicon Valley VCs. And that was surprising to me. So apps and software, I would, I would totally expect to raise money that way. When, you know, vegan mayonnaise or plant-based protein foods like you know, veggie burgers are, are fundraising that way, that surprised me. So typically you pick your food festival venues based on exciting, rich food culture at the destination. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a reverse engineering in that you picked innovative thinking, people who were interested and in basically zero food culture in Silicon <laughs> well, Valley. It, I, I've been telling people it's kind of like there's cheesesteak, fa uh, cheesecake factory and then Mark Zuckerberg's favorite sushi place. And there's not a lot in between right now. So I'm hoping this kind of, you know, helps develop that culture and, and call attention to what's going on down there. Okay. So then how did you decide to call it bite? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's the double entendre of bite with the Y and bite with the I. Um, we also, I mean, Frankly, we just wanted a name that was fast and easy to say and memorable. Um, but we also chose it because you can take this concept and move it anywhere. So anywhere there is a uh, little intersection of food and technology, we could do Bite Boston, Bite Washington, D.C., Bite Chicago, um, Bite Seattle. There's a lot of places. Um, so we, we kind of liked the name because it could, it could move around with us. So you'll be able to focus group that at the first one and then I'm see what taken, kind of legs it has. Taking suggestions now. 
So in, in, at most food festivals, the events are, are pretty straightforward. You have chef demonstrations, you have grand tastings, um, you have wine tastings, maybe a cocktail demonstration. So how does this differ from that? You have some very different types of panels and events happening. Yeah, um, I think the first thing that came out was that it, it morphed into a two-part event. So we have a conference on Friday. And that will be a little more serious. We're going to talk about some issues like GMOs, like food waste, um, just uh, and and really delve into those issues. Not not like a food focused way, just more of a conversation. And then Saturday and Sunday, it's a food festival, so that you'll see your grand tasting, you'll see your cooking demos. But even those, we're having the chefs really challenged to be more innovative and and showcase some of the new technology, whether it's a sous vide machine or it's a um, a 3D printer. We're going to have a lot of different technology there that people can see and, and watch in action. So, in aside from you know good sponsors and good turnouts and and big enthusiasm, the conference piece of it, you you do t- have some really serious subject matter. And again, food festivals tend to be a little more fun, a little bit lighter, a little yeah. more entertainment, a little you know, a little you know, easy a little breezy, drinking, little drinking, eating. daytime drinking. What do you hope to get as a result of these more serious conversations? Yeah, when I'm asked that, I think for me, the win is, is I've seen these conversations that have been taking place, and, and I'm not, this isn't new, but in academic communities, think tanks, um, advocates and, and policymakers have been talking about these issues. I think by bringing the celebrity chefs into the conversation, I hope to bring, to, to amplify it and to bring more people into it. Um, because I think, you know, if you have these smaller conversations, that, that's great. But I think if you can bring in the celebrity factor, if we can engage big business in, in these conversations, then you really have more. Um, I'm hoping, you know, it's the, the pebble with the ripples in the, in the, pub, you know, in the water that'll, that'll amplify it and, and bring more people into the conversation because that's what will affect change. It's also interesting in that so many of these really big companies, especially the big food product companies, now really where at one point in time they drove the trends and what the American offerings were at the supermarket and what people wanted and and what they ate. And they were driving that based on what they could offer. Sometimes it was just so new to just have a loaf of sliced bread available at the store that everyone went crazy and bought it. But as they sort of started to cycle through all those things and chef culture has become so much more prominent and stronger Mm -hmm. that it's actually that influence cycle has turned, that you have a smaller group of people in terms of the chefs and the food media driving the trends and the change that then the larger institutions have to pick up and, and follow. Yeah, we've been looking at these trends where, you know, the Chipotles are now creating this this culture of demand so that the McDonald's have to capitulate. Um, in, in, I don't think it's here yet, but in Southern California, they're rolling out these order kiosks so people can customize their burgers um, on a touch screen. They're brought to you at your table. You have a lot more choices on ingredients and you are able to customize things. Um, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting to see. And, and even people like Pepsi having this whole innovation department and working to, to find alternative sweeteners and to cut down their use of high fructose corn syrup, that's not something that's, you know, that's new, um, this kind of reaction to this demand for healthier choices. And also just more choices like the cronut and kale and all those, you know, avocado toast, all of those McDonald's trends that people fall salad. in love with that then, you know, big companies have to 
you know, figure out how to make that happen. So which leads us to, I think, um, Maisie, who is with Bon Appetit Management, which is one of the biggest food service companies that we have, who's doing some really interesting things, as well as speaking on the challenge of food waste panel. So Carol, what... Tell us about your invitation to Maisie to come speak. Well, I was um, really struck by the fact that they have a position called waste specialist and someone who analyzes this for their business. I think they've been they've shown themselves to be a very progressive company um, in how they source and how they they innovate um, to make sure that things are better, healthier, you know, all these things. So I'm, I'm very impressed with how they run. Maisie, do you get a lot of invitations to speak at food festivals? Or are you mostly at business conferences? I do get invitations to speak at both at food festivals and business conferences. And I have to say that we have to weed through them. But when the Bite Silicon Valley one came through, it was a very easy yes, because I think that the, the connection between food and technology at every level of the food chain is so strong. I do have to just take a step back, though, and challenge the idea that there's no food culture in Silicon Valley, because it's a company <laughs> with, with over 100 cafes in Silicon Valley, and with the, the short distance between Silicon Valley and the Salinas Valley, where so much of our nation's food is grown, I think there's actually a fantastic food culture in Silicon Valley. It might just be happening on corporate campuses behind closed doors more than out in the public. Okay, well, that is very good to know. Um, and to your point, if it's happening behind closed doors, it would be tough for the public to get a look at that and be aware of it. Maybe if they open their doors a little bit, they will, you know, get a little attention and recognition for things that are going on. Well, I think that's part of why it's great that, that the first Bite Conference is in Silicon Valley. It gives us a platform to be able to talk about some of the exciting things that are happening. Are you going to be offering um, tours inside some of the uh, big tech company cafeterias? That might be a fun thing to do. I would take a tour of, you know, a Google kitchen cafeteria or something like that to see if it is like they portrayed in the movies. I will say I have been invited and it's fantastic. <laughs> and Michael Bacher, head of global food service for Google, will be uh, one of the panels. So you can, have it, you can ask him directly. Exactly. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, Maisie, you are on the food waste panel. Tell us a little bit about um, the things that you're doing right now. Well, our food waste program has, has three pillars, and that's why we created the waste specialist position. It has grown uh, to be in so many different areas. The first is reducing food waste at the source. So trying to help agriculture either harvest more product and sell it into market so it doesn't have to be composted or distender, or be able to use more of the product they do harvest. The second is waste reduction within our own kitchens, and the third is food recovery. So when you naturally do overproduce, can we donate that food so that people who are hungry can eat it? And about how many, just to give people a sense when, you know, I can say, oh, it's one of the biggest, you know, restaurant and food companies in the country. Give us a sense in terms of numbers of meals that you serve on a day-to-day basis so people can understand when you say you're interested in food waste, what we're actually talking about. We have about 600, 650 cafes in 33 states. 
And we serve just shy of 200 million meals a year. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so when you talk about savings and food waste, we're talking about large quantities of food that are actually impactful. In our perfectly delicious program, which is looking at how we can, we can buy cosmetically challenged produce that would otherwise have gone to waste and cook it, because once you've chopped it and diced it and peeled it, it doesn't matter how pretty it was to start. In just our pilot on the West Coast, in combination with our parent company, Compass Group, we've rescued 47 tons of produce in a few short months. That's amazing. Where would those 47 tons have gone otherwise? They would mostly have been either composted, left in the fields and disked under, or in a small portion of cases, sold to a secondary market like for juice. But the farmer would then have gotten less money for it. Right, because they would not have been able to recoup money from having had to grow the 47 tons. And harvest. And harvest. Labor is a big component. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Huge. I, I know this is radio and we talk and pauses are not good, but I'm a, a momentarily a little bit speechless <laughs> with thinking about 47 <laughs> tons of food that just got dropped in the dirt because it wasn't pretty. That's amazing. So challenge of food waste is something that people talk about a lot on this show when people talk about um, changes they would like to see happen or ways that we can use technology to you know, improve things. That's, that's something that is a reoccurring theme that we hear over and over again. How do you, I- internally then, how do you start to manage that and make it feasible? I, I often find that technology becomes um, the, the means to the end where it, it helps you manage or identify or track or you know, just simply make it easy enough that it becomes possible. Well, there's been a lot of people who've been interested in creating apps that connect the farmers to the restaurants or the restaurants to the soup kitchens. We found that that's great for very short transactional interchanges. For us, where we want to set up longer-term relationships, we don't really need an app per se, but we have had to build additional systems for tracking the product and had to modify our very boring back-of-house systems where the chefs order produce to be able to highlight which of the, of the items are perfectly delicious. And that isn't a very sexy component to food waste reduction, but it, the technology does come into play at every step of the process. I, I would imagine you have to have technology for those organizational pieces when you're talking about so many moving parts across so many states. Exactly. So not knowing how it's going to be the first festival, it's exciting to look forward and and wonder how it's going to be. Carol, what's the thing you're most excited about? Honestly, I I just, the whole way the programming's come together, I was um, sharing earlier that um, what's interesting about this event is is both the media and our consumers have been asking a lot of questions about our sponsors. Um, Usually when I do an event, they're, they're asking about the celebrity chefs. This time they're actually asking 
what what's going on with this 3D printer? What's this smart grill? It's interesting how how excited they are about the sponsors. Because many of the sponsors are pieces of technology that are relatively new that nobody has actually probably seen in person, where we've all seen a car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but most of us have not been in the same room with a printer that prints 3D food. 3D sugar cubes. And so, Maisie, this is sort of a little bit in your backyard in Silicon Valley. What are you looking forward to most about the festival? I'm looking forward to totally new discoveries and seeing old friends. I'm really excited to see Josh Petrick from Hampton Creek. We've got a great partnership with them on Just Cookies and Just Mayo. Seeing some of our clients like Michael Bacher from Google. But I'm most excited about running into people I don't know that are doing really cool things I haven't even thought of yet. All right. So that's a good, those are both good agendas for the weekend. Um, at the end of every episode of Tech Bytes, and we are unfortunately running out of time, I like to ask the guests for a little piece of advice for our listeners at home. So Carol, you're such an amazing event planner. If someone wants to plan an event, and I'll say like a small event, like a meetup or maybe a little event at their restaurant or maybe a big back- backyard barbecue, if someone wants to plan a small event, what are your you know, best pieces of advice? I always say that um, whether it's something in the home or, or even like at a, at a cocktail party that's larger, um, I like to have snacks or, or drinks readily available as soon as people walk in the door. So if it's at your home, it's, it's having those things out on the table, the bottle of wine and glasses right there that they can help themselves to. I think that takes that kind of um, edge off and people just relax and you're not as stressed to get the food to the table. But if you're talking about a party, it's having that waiter at the door with the champagne just giving it to you. Um, I find people's shoulders come down a little. They're not as frantic to get to the bar or stand in a line to get a drink. Um, I always think that's a good thing. Excellent. So the, an amazing first impression with a libation and a snack. What could go wrong? Wonderful. And Maisie, for people who are interested in reducing their own you know, food waste and consumption in their homes you know, on a very, very small scale, what would you recommend to them? I'd recommend looking at what they're buying and thinking, can they plan ahead multiple meals from the same produce so that you are are thinking through the total usage of the product when you buy it, or can you shop more often? Can you go multi-times a week so that you don't have uh, something wilting in your refrigerator for a month? So being more thoughtful and planning out the your what you're buying to what you're actually making. Exactly. And I'll add a, I'll add a footnote to that, which is eat ugly fruit and vegetables. Because they taste good, too. (laughs) Well, that's all the time we have today for Tech Bites. I want to thank Carol and Maisie for talking with us about Bite Silicon Valley. The website is bitesv.com. The festival is from June 5th to June 7th. Tickets are still available if you want to check that out. down. I want to thank all our listeners for stopping by and spending time. If you like this show, go and visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more like it. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.